Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. So this is this is episode 46. Yeah. Is there a reason we had to get this specific topic out of the way before we hit episode 51? Um, the answer to that question is that I realized this uh-huh. after I had already done the work. <laughs> okay. No worries. And I was like, oh, crap. Well, I could just do another episode. And I'm like, I have a day. <laughs> I don't know if I could just pick another topic and then do the whole thing just Can't so that I can it. save this. I've already got a full episode of this podcast written and ready to go that I made months ago that is just sitting around. That is true it, because we've even teased that specific topic, but we're saving it. We're saving it for something, something special, we hope. Mm-hmm. But we're, I mean, I feel like this is a classic we have yep. to talk about area area 51 oh you, you even, introduced it we're doing it i i mean i we can't just dance dance around it people know what we're gonna be people have read the title i don't know anything about area 51 really quickly uh before we even introduce the show before we even introduce ourselves because we we're only like a minute in we can't just jump into the podcast already it's that's not, not like been us. at least 15 minutes i know that's not like us at all so is Area 51 not connected to like Roswell or is it connected to Roswell? I've always thought those two really go hand in hand for me. That makes sense. It's because they're in the American Southwest. Okay. And um, like, there's that aspect of it. But America's pretty big. Are are they not even like close to each other? One is in New Mexico and one is in Nevada. Okay. Totally different states then. Not sure why I thought they were right next door. Right. Those two areas, Roswell and Area 51. Not not, not sure. I thought they were right down the road from each other. Are they? Are they deserty? Is Ro- is Roswell deserty? They're both very deserty. Yes, they're deserty. That's what's doing it for me. Aliens crash land in the sand. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they. I mean, I don't even know if Area Fifty One's about crash landings. I'm conflating the two. This is my problem. This is this is the weave that you are gonna have to untangle. Okay. In my head, I have two different things that have formed one thought. Area Fifty One and Roswell are the same in my mind. And your job this episode is to try and untangle that gnarly web of half-remembered facts and stories about these to try and make me understand that they are, in fact, two different things. 
Oh, first of all, um, this is a podcast uh, called It's Probably Not oh, Aliens. Yes, this is a podcast. It's a podcast. I, where do, like, we... I do like that, like, because I don't, I, I, it's my favorite, like, Scottism in that every episode, like, this is a podcast. I don't know if you thought that this was something else, but it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. I'm glad everyone is on the same page about what exactly that you are listening to. This is not an audiobook. This is not some sort of spoken word music. Music. This is a podcast, and we all know it, and there's no contention around it. What's this podcast about, Tristan? Uh, this is called It's Probably Not Aliens. It's about ancient aliens, ancient astronauts, pseudo-history, pseudo-archaeology, conspiracy theories, UFOs. Y- you get that vibe. Um, we're, mo- that. we're mostly, like, at the moment, going through a response to the TV show Ancient Aliens episode by episode, or really, like, 30-second um, bit by 30-second bit. <laughs> It's just little chunks that they spend almost no time on. And then Tristan over here has to like scratch his head and go, oh, come on. And then spend a full hour teaching me about it, uh, mm-hmm. about these these little sound bites every week. But we have taken uh, side trips to talk about astrobiology and yes. uh, the Gosford glyphs and stuff. So we, we, we I, I just I just want to open that we have uh, we have the creative space that if we somehow run out of ancient aliens, mm-hmm. we have we have more domains that we can move oh, into. Oh, yeah. I've already teased. You've not heard this episode yet, Tristan, because uh, I recorded it like two days ago with Kevin, but listeners have already heard it. Cheating on me with Kevin again? Yeah, you know I'm cheating on you with Kevin. Anytime that I get to emulate you and the power dynamic that you have on this podcast, where you're the one with all of the knowledge, it makes me feel like a, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like a, like a, like a, a king of I am mighty, apparently. People. Yes. Uh, but you haven't heard this episode yet, but... I, I've already teased about the the hollow earth theory that I want to go back into it and talk about more people who believed in this that ancient aliens didn't even talk about because it's so wild. I'm like finding my own little niches inside of this already <laughs> niche thing of ancient astronaut theory. Oh yeah, hollow earth's a fun one. That that one that one goes places. But yeah, I'm Tristan. We're doing this in reverse again. My name is Tristan Johnson. I am a a person who has an unhealthy obsession with conspiracy theories and uh, pseudo history. My name is Scott Nicewander. I come to this podcast knowing nothing most of the time, except for when Tristan is out and I get to know all the things and that makes me feel good inside. Uh, but today I'm back. I'm back to my roots. I know nothing. As you know, <laughs> as you've heard already from this intro where I don't even know the difference between Area 51 and Roswell, New Mexico. We've already done an episode about Roswell. Please go listen to that because I think it was a very, very good episode. But Area 51, apparently a different thing. Yeah. Um, Scott comes in innocent, baby-like, cherubic, <laughs> uh-huh. innocent of the, the bullshit that is to come. <laughs> and then usually you walk away knowing more, which uh, if I've learned anything in my 30, almost 34 years on this planet is that the more, you know, the less happy you are. Oh no. So (laughs) in this educational podcast, uh, you're going to learn a whole lot of new stuff today about uh, area 51 and everything. But yeah, we're going to try, we're going to, we're going to try to keep it light as we always do. Unless Tristan hits us with another, as he, as he typically does and 
a, a third act zinger that's going to make us all feel a little sad inside. You know what? Is that in store for us today? No, not really. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, didn't, good... It didn't sound amazingly confident at first when you were answering. We're going to be talking a lot today about the military industrial complex and okay. um, what a uh, what a military that is larger than the next like several militaries combined can do with their infinite money and science. So yeah, we're going to talk about Area 51. So in our previous episode uh, last year where we talked about Roswell, we mentioned the the Roswell incident as sort of the inciting thing that really set off uh, UFO mania in 1947. Uh, and then we turned out that it was sort of uh, a elaborate re-remembering of a various bunch of different things that happened over the lifespan of a uh, Air Force base in Roswell. People with head injuries, people who got uh, yeah. people who died in experimental aircraft accidents all sorts of and weather balloons crashing and stuff like that. All of that got sort of misremembered or twisted to turn into a uh, UFO story. And you end up with Roswell learning about Area 51 a little bit more difficult because even as today, the government does not acknowledge its existence. (laughs) Um, uh, It is it is the prime area. It is the prime place to build conspiracy theories out of because it is uh, so, so, so deeply caked in secrecy. The government keeps uh, very tight wraps on what we know about it. And to this day, you like if you are if you wander onto the site, they are allowed to shoot you. It's intense stuff. I did not know. I genuinely did not know that it was like legitimately secretive. I, in my head, I, I, I guess I always thought that it wasn't very secretive, but people were just like, oh, they're keeping secrets there. And then the people at Area 51 are like, no, we're not. <laughs> like, genuinely, we're not. Please stop bothering us. But you're telling me no. Whether or not we, what, what the secrets are, obviously, we probably don't know. But like, you're telling me this is genuinely some kind of secretive undercover covert like we have no idea what's happening in there sort of a thing yeah it's a it's a it's a little complex because like obviously we know it exists it's like uh-huh, we uh-huh. like it was on it's on google earth although it's been heavily blurred um but like it's it's, it's very <laughs> I imagine so it's very well known that like it exists uh, but the government doesn't officially recognize that it exists. And so sometimes they're like, we did this at that place that we don't talk about type, type, type stuff. Mm. But but first, let's get into sort of where ancient aliens and ancient astronaut theorists and sort of the UFO, yeah. the UFO supernatural crankdom generally are coming from when they say talk about Area 51, which is. It is a military base. It is about 100 miles from Las Vegas. Okay. And there have been reports of strange UFO activity happening over the base. Interesting. And speculation about what goes on at Area 51 or what went on at Area 51 range all over the place. Uh, Some people say that it's where they store and examine and reverse engineered things that were the things that were actually recovered from Roswell. So basically like part of the part of the Roswell story is that all of the eight like the, you know, the dead aliens and the UFOs were all taken to Area 51 for study and reverse engineering. So I wasn't far off at all when I had those two sort of connected in my head. No, they are very much connected. They very much are. I feel like they are the the two uh, real pillars of UFO lore. Um, That's going to make it really hard with the challenge I gave you this episode of disconnecting them in my head. If you're coming out this early saying (laughs) that actually, no, (laughs) they're quite connected. Yeah, but according to to people who believe this, the UFO people who believe this, basically that they took the stuff 
stuff back from Roswell to Area 51, where they reverse engineered and worked on uh, stuff to basically design a lot of the technological advances that we've had over the late 20th century. Like mm -hmm. uh, some people have said that miniaturization of computers and like all sorts of like of our technological advances come from the reverse engineering, including like, you know, there's pop culture de uh, depictions of all this stuff with um, with Independence Day. If you remember of that course. movie, they go to Area yeah. 51 in the movie uh, where they welcome the to Earth. UFO that they eventually use a virus to take out the anyways. Uh, great movie. Ridiculous, but great. There's also thoughts that this is sort of a I would say like a uh, an embassy for the extraterrestrials because it, to a lot of UFO people, uh, the government, the United States knows about ancient or knows about aliens and that they are in contact with them, oh. but they keep it secret because they don't want people to panic. So this is a place where the aliens go so they can have official, you know, back and forth I with the government. You. They're just like, look, we know you're aliens. You can go anywhere you want. Please come here first. Please funnel through here first. It's like uh, if that's cool. Yeah, it's like it's exactly like, it's like a customs like just come on in through here we'll get you all disguised up you go out into the world however you want but you just can you just go through this one place please that would be uh very helpful for us thank you you cannot take more than three ray guns with you or else you're gonna have to pay a duty on it yeah um. <laughs> You are not able to rent a car. That does make it really hard to to get around out of here. We are 100 miles from any sort of uh, civilization. Good luck. But if you cross 100 miles, oh, oh boy, boy do we have <laughs> boy do we have a city for you? There's just like aliens, like like people like barely disguised as aliens, and they all want to go to the Luxor, uh, where the big <laughs> pyramid shaped casino is. It's like you can see the entire planet in just this one place. It's true. It's like their survey. Um, but there's a bunch of other claims. Like uh, there was some claims that they were studying uh, exotic energy weapons here. Like they were doing like sort of like mad science here, specifically for the SDI Ooh. or the Strategic Defense Initiative, which okay. was also nicknamed Star Wars, which was this. Um, yeah, of course it was. Bunch of nerds. Yeah, this was like a 1980s project to develop um, counter weapons to Soviet nukes. It's notable for two things. One, costing a hell of a lot of money. And two, um, not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> Oops. Because it was basically this idea that they would be able to uh, prevent Soviet nukes from hitting the United States by having powerful lasers that could shoot the nukes before they could land. Ah. Ronald Reagan, very unintelligent president, uh, <laughs> uh, loved this. And uh, oh, very unintelligent and possibly suffering, or not possibly, he verified, he was suffering from early stages of Alzheimer's late in his presidency. Mm. So um, was very easily talked into putting a ton of money into this boondoggle that you know in the past they thought it was like much more high-tech stuff but it turns out it was just this like really terrible uh project that never went anywhere oh um, no and then there's like a sort of re-reinterpretation that like conservatives do where they try to say that well actually what ronald reagan was pouring all this money into this project knowing it would go nowhere because then the soviets would think that they were like onto some sci-fi stuff oh. and then they would bankrupt <laughs> themselves trying to catch up and we're not fools yeah. We're not clowns. This was all part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. Other things that have been claimed to be developed there is like other forms of, you know, mad, you know, the kind of things you saw on Eureka, if you remember that show. I love Eureka. It's a great show. I, you and I need to do a whole separate podcast about sci-fi original shows. That's yeah, true. Eureka, I love the show that soft rebooted itself like at least twice um, using like time jumps and alternate universes and stuff. I love it. I love it. Warehouse 13, obviously, we've talked about before on this mm -hmm. on this podcast 
podcast. All of this stuff it's, is inspired by this kind of thing. Yeah, um, obviously. It's so good. I mean, yeah, Warehouse 13 feels like it's almost like an Area 51 type thing where it's like sort of out in the middle of nowhere and they've got all these like things that people are not allowed to know about. Yeah, SCP, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, like, so like, you know, they were saying that they were, work, they were working on weather control here. They're working on time travel mm-hmm. or teleportation that they're working on exotic propulsion systems um, related to something called the Aurora program, which I did not know about, but basically it's this like mythical aircraft. They're basically, there's this, there's this theory that uh, the United States developed something called the Aurora, which is this airplane that can fly at Mach six, which is like an absurdly fast speed. And uh, speed racer only got up to Mach five. Yeah. And it can fly up to 130,000 feet in the air. So like this, like uh, that using this, like, uh, this really strange hypersonic speed technology. But um, as far as I can tell, there's no actual evidence that they ever oh, built okay. one of these things. Well, that's uh, disappointing. But there are people who still stand by that, you know, America developed these things. Yeah, no evidence that we've found. It's going so fast. How can we see it? And of course, you know, your typical conspiracy theorists that are more political in nature would say that this is where they do activities for the shadowy one world government or a group called Majestic 12 uh, or called MJ-12 in the UFO circles. is. Okay. Basically, a organi- uh, an organization that is the code for the committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials that do UFO stuff. That basically, in 1947, when Roswell happened, Harry Truman signed an executive order making Majestic 12, and it's sort of it's the conspiracy, the group, it's the government organization that is the conspiracy. If you think about it, it's all the people who are coordinating to study aliens sure. and not tell anybody about it. Why is it abbreviated as MJ12? Why not just M12? I don't know. What well, majestic isn't two words. It's not a, it's not a name majestic. of my, it, it's majestic. majestic. It's, it's not the name of my, of my old dear Mima. Majestic. <laughs> majestic. I forgot you're from the South. You have a Mima. I don't have a Mima. I have a mama actually. Oh, that's they, close enough. It's her name is majestic. As, as we just discussed. Majestic, yeah. So that's the, the, the various claims about area 51 is kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of another example of this, but it's kind of just become like a thing that every major UFO conspiracy th- or basically every major like science fiction esque conspiracy theory has a, a place. Area 51 has a place in its, uh, in its story somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the the central like if you're gonna make an alien conspiracy theory you gotta talk about area 51 and it doesn't help that you know the u.s government doesn't acknowledge its existence and is very secretive and very defensive which you know is a is, is very good fuel for um oh you know, yeah building up something it, it feels like they're definitely hiding something even if it's not alien i mean they are hiding they're they are literally hiding things mm-hmm. so like yeah know. so let's get into the story of area 51 what it is, Let's talk about it. What it actually is, what it isn't, and uh, where we are kind of today with it. Okay. And even the history of the conspiracy theory, because I think that's interesting. Oh. But um, basically, the story of Area 51 dates itself to um, the origin, dates itself to late 1950. Oh. That's so close. If they held out for a couple months, it would have been early 1951. Yeah, there you go. So what happened was the United States Atomic Energy Commission Uh decided to buy up uh, a huge amount of the American Southwest to make something called the National Proving Grounds. They were basically like, we are going to test a whole lot of new nuclear bombs. So we need a whole lot of land that we own that doesn't have people on it so that we can test it. Uh, And where can you get a place where there's lots of area with no people but the American Southwest? 
Southwest. The desert. Yeah, where all you'll be nuking is lizards and cactuses. And nobody likes those. No. Take that, Geico, they were saying, I imagine. Mm -hmm. They really did not like the movie Rango with Johnny Depp. These are my lizard references. I don't have many of them. So if you could like laugh at one of them, I would appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. There you go. You could just cut and paste that into every joke you make of the podcast in the future. Oh, I will do that. (laughs) So basically what happened was, is they took this huge swatch of land they made to test nuclear bombs and they started breaking it up into sub parcels that they named things like area one, area two. Ah. And basically um, they split it into and one through 30 became the proving grounds for the nuclear bomb. Um, One of the leftover pieces of land from that major purchase was Area 51. How many areas were there? That's a good question. I would, I think maybe a hundred. At least 51 that we know of. Yeah, I I don't have a verified thing on that. I don't know how many they did in total, but um, at least 51. Yeah. Um, So they, they basically like the government took one thing of this to build a military base on because, you know, basically the, the, United States military had uh, was obviously setting up their like scientific research and all that kind of like stuff mm-hmm. in that region. If they were working on nuclear bombs, then it'd be easy to be like, all right, this is where we're going to do all of our like testing and military science stuff in this place where there's not a lot of people and we can very much like we own the land and it's very secretive and it's out of the way. So we're going to just, you know, this is going to become uh, uh, that area. Makes sense. So uh, the, the apparently the actual name that they call it, you know, the people who actually work at Area 51, uh-huh. uh, according to the CIA, it's it's got goes by the names of homie airport or groom lake groom lake okay mm-hmm. where where the term area 51 got attributed to this is because they don't want to refer to the name of the base in documents and there is one document that the cia used in the vietnam war where they refer to area 51 in a way to not refer to its actual name and amongst the people who work there apparently it goes by nicknames like dreamland and the paradise ranch do all the other areas have cool names do we know I don't think so. I think a lot of them are empty place where we explode bombs. (laughs) (laughs) This is explodey hole. (laughs) There didn't used to be a hole here. It was a very uh, fortuitous name that we decided on. Um, the other pla- the other thing that people will refer to it, uh, and it's like, this is the kind of names that the government will give it. They'll refer to it at, like Area 51 was in this one document. The other reference to it is from the USAF or the Air Force called it, quote, an operating location near Groom Dry Lake. The other thing is that it's also um, restricted area 4808 North, otherwise known as R4808N, which is a thing you would only know if you were a pilot. Basically, the, right. the not surprisingly, the airspace over this region is, uh, is a no-fly zone. Can't go over there. Sorry, Tom Cruise. So that might be that. So to, to, you know, to pilots, that's what the area is called because that's just the place that you can't fly in. Yeah, they got to know that. Yeah. Um, but And so like this place, the, obviously from the first day, they've been focused entirely on security and confidentiality. Nobody outside the base has ever had access to anything that's being done inside. And for a very long time, like you'll be surprised how long, everything that was was ever done there was classified, which means that basically they went to like, like anybody who broke that could be liable for like federal crimes. Uh, if they said Ooh. anything that they did when they were there, okay. the, the area around the lake is permanently off limits. No civilians or even normal military air traffic can go through it. Um, they do security clearances on everybody who works there and they're checked regularly. Uh, you're not allowed.
allowed to bring any cameras or any weaponry onto the site. And to this date, the US government is very, very, very cagey about giving any details about what is there or yeah. what it is. So you can tell this is like a perfect uh, like suit yeah. for conspiracy theories and all sorts of stuff. It, it very much so. It, it feels like there's. I mean, even just me, who as we've been doing this podcast has has sort of believed less and less in in alien conspiracies. Uh, but like even now, just talking about it, even though I know that in just a few fleeting moments you are going to start debunking things and explaining things, it's got me hooked. I'm like, what's there? Mm-hmm. What's happening? Something's happening. Something they don't want us to know about's happening. And I bet it's something absolutely wild that that would destroy humanity's vision and ideas of itself. You know, it's got to be something big. I mean, it's definitely become the place that the military, specifically the Air Force, use. It's their site where they can do research on things that they do not want anybody knowing about. Yeah. So you can imagine, get an idea of where things are. But so no, no details come out. But then in 19... 1989, a guy named Bob Lazar uh, goes to a Las Vegas television reporter and says that he was actually working there uh, for about a year. And what he was doing there was reverse engineering alien spacecraft. Bob? Yep. Bob Bob Lazar. Bob let it all out. He that's it. End of episode, right? Yeah. (laughs) Bob said it all. Yeah. Very confirmed. uh, Reverse engineering alien spacecrafts. Presumably from Roswell. Its citations are from Bob, Robert, yeah. uh-huh. Robbie. Yeah. Bobby. Bobby, obviously. <laughs> Bobbert. Sure, Bo. There's probably a Bobbert out there. Yeah. All those people all say that this was happening. So it seems mm-hmm. pretty legit. Um, and people thought it was pretty legit because uh, for several years, uh, Bob enjoyed... Uh, a lot of publicity. He was on television a whole bunch of times where he talked about this kind of stuff. Mm. And notably, the most important thing that did not happen is he didn't get arrested for felony breach of confidentiality or espionage. Well, yeah, because then it, then then that would be suspicious, right? It would be suspicious if they did that because it would be it would mean that they know that he's telling the truth. Sure. Um, let's go with that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Think uh, about that for a second. Yeah, the government's uh, definitely in the business of just letting people expose their secrets to everybody and having no repercussions whatsoever, officially mm-hmm. or unofficially. Um, right. <laughs> right. You know, if, ba- if, if, if knowing how the U.S. government works, um, if Bob Lazar was saying anything close to true, he would have committed suicide by shooting himself in the back six times or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah <laughs> America gotta love it you're forced to love it the problem though is that the UFO community really wanted to believe this story because it was just it perfectly fit their entire narrative that there were UFOs here and that the government was doing a cover up of course yeah he was saying what people wanted to hear so despite the fact that nobody who has actually done research on his claims has ever come up with anything that actually like seems like real evidence including a guy by the name of Stanton Friedman who was a elder statesman of the UFO community actually found anything when you did more research. Oh, that seems like one of, that seems like a guy who would really want to latch on to it then. Mm-hmm. But he says, he says, no, nah, it doesn't really fit. And then also in 1991, a lot of the secrecy over the groom like activities were uh, lifted mm. because a lot of the main work that they were doing there was, was stopped. So they, they sort of declassified or at least, uh, you know, released the hardcore classification 
justification on a whole lot of the things they were doing. Okay. And in 2007, all the way in 2007, they uh, finally let the employees who worked on these projects, um, they released them from their confidentiality agreements, which okay. means that uh, there were a lot of older people who were able to talk openly about what they did at Groom Lake. And uh, the story about what actually was going on during all this time is pretty interesting, but it's definitely not reverse engineering UFOs. All right. Well, first of all, I will be the judge on whether or not something is interesting. That's what I say. That's oh, yeah, the thing forgot. that I say. That's my thing. Don't take it. Um, <laughs> that's that's what I do. But uh, no. That, so next, this, next thing, Scott's going to start saying depressing stuff. <laughs> But in 2007, this happened. I th- This sounds so vaguely familiar to me. What doesn't seem familiar is a abundance, a, a fount of people talking about aliens. So that that makes me skeptical about this. Yeah, then. I feel like if, uh, if they lifted their confidentiality agreements and they were able to talk about the work they did on UFOs, that that would have made the news. Yeah, um, a little bit. But despite the fact that now a lot of the secrecy about Area 51 has actually been uh, lifted, at least some of the older stuff. I don't know what's going on today. We don't know. But Mm. uh, at least a lot of the stuff that was going on during uh, the sort of Roswell period uh, and like the sort of few decades after that, people still believe in the Area 51 conspiracy. There's as as recently as 2011, there was a really big book called Area 51, an uncensored history of America's top secret military base by Annie Jacobson, which still purported that the Roswell UFO was taken to Area 51 for study. So this is still not a settled thing, even though yeah. pretty much we know most of what was going on there. But uh, but it's, you know, you know, you know how the conspiracy, you know, remember the ley lines? They're still like, oh, but those are the fake ley lines. This is the real ley lines. <laughs> right, right, right. So, all right. But you're saying we we sort of already know. We, we sort of already know what like the actual legitimate things that were going on there at the time were. And they're not aliens. So like, what are those things then? Well, we're going to find out right Uh, after this. Fine, I'll wait. I've waited long enough, Tristan. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Area 51, Groom Lake. By the way, Groom Lake is like, I've never heard that phrase before, that that term for Area 51. I kind of like it. It's kind of like spooky and mysterious. Yeah. Groom Lake. I don't know. I dig it. It's true. I, I, I agree. people should call it that. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened? What happened there? So basically to summarize, during like the first few decades of Area 51, it became a place of doing um, essentially research and, t- and t- testing, test flights. Mm. Uh, a lot of experimental air aircraft, especially spy aircraft, were tested at the site, as well as uh, some reverse engineering, but not of the kind that you think. So I'll talk about a few major projects because what they, while they began their lives, you know, as little baby engineering projects at Area 51, they have since gone on to become part of the general U.S. Air Force arsenal of today. Okay. Uh, can I retract something that I said earlier? Sure. I keep thinking about it after the... 40 seconds ago when I said that Groom Lake sounded spooky. 
Uh, it actually just sounds like a it sounds like a day camp for newly married guys. So I don't think it sounds very, <laughs> very, very spooky at all, actually, anymore. No, it just sounds really lame. It's, it <laughs> sounds like it sounds like a mid 2000s, like straight to DVD comedy. Oh Groom Lake. Yeah. 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 A little bit. Yeah. Starring Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn would be a good pick for that. Yeah. Um, he's he's good, but he's not offensive. Yeah. He's good for a general audience. But yeah, so there's a few major projects. A lot of them are ones that you might recognize, depending upon how much of a nerd you are for American military hardware. Um, oh, not which, at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, it's notoriously crappy anyway. So um, I say the U.S. has the most expensive military on Earth. Not necessarily the best one. Well, that's why we need an even bigger budget, Tristan. <laughs> they have this weird habit of spending billions and billions of dollars on like a fancy state of the art, like a uh, jet fighter that is only going to ever be needed if the world is about to end and also can't take off in the rain <laughs> but if we give them a couple more dollars they're gonna get it this time i promise uh, they've had yeah they've had this um they've had like the u.s air force had this thing like um the osprey which is like uh-huh. this pro- this like aircraft they made that like notoriously just kills tons and tons of people because it crashes constantly oh no uh, yeah the u.s like i said most expensive not necessarily best anyways this is where they were doing research on specifically spy plane technology and the first one you might recognize is U2, the U2. Um, I've heard of that band. Yeah, the U2 is ba- named after this thing. Oh, this, really? This predates Bono, yeah. Oh, wow. I was making a joke, but this actually makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so like the U2 is, it goes by the nickname, of, it went by the nickname at the time of the Dragon Lady. Um, okay. But the U2 is a spy plane that uh, I think is still sometimes in operation today. It's a like single jet engine, high altitude reconnaissance aircraft that the US Air Force uh, uses. And in the past, the CIA also had some of these. Um, the idea of it is that the breakthrough technology is that it was, it could fly very fast and very, very high in the sky. And then it had had like a bunch of very sophisticated photography equipment so that you could fly <laughs> over, say, I don't know, the Soviet Union or something. Sure. And as uh, an example. Yeah. And then with your your big, beautiful camera, take tons of pictures and see what kind of things are up to on the ground. OK. Um, but it flies so high that hopefully you they wouldn't even see you like 70,000 feet up is like like a typical airplane today flies at about like, what, 30,000 feet. So, yeah. So a little bit higher. Than yeah. That. Yeah. 20, 2100, 21,300 meters. So this was just like for reconnaissance and, and things like that. This this plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for it's not a bombing plane or anything like that. It was designed to fly that high and hopefully being that high Soviet fighters and their missiles and their radar systems would not be able to notice them so that they could fly over Soviet airspace without the Soviets uh, noticing them or if they did not being able to attack them and take lots of pictures of whatever yeah. you know, military bases and whatever they want. Reconnaissance in general is like scouting. So the exploring of an area uh, to obtain information about what the, what's going on. That feels like cheating, though, if they're like if they're if they're being like Google has to blur out Area 51. But we've got this plane that's just going to spy on everybody. Uh, and to be also fair, the Soviets were probably were working on similar things to do similar what? things to the U.S. So what? not necessarily spy planes. Um, the Soviets were much better at um, having like actual spies in the, in the American <laughs> government. Yeah, they were they were a little bit more. The Soviets were always taking the uh, there's a really great I, I don't even know if it's a true story. It's maybe an apocryphal story, but it really mm-hmm. outlines 
outlines the different approaches that the Soviets versus the Americans took to problem solving uh, and doing like Cold War activities. Uh, yeah. And so it's it's a talk about it's astronauts. Uh, it's an astronaut oh, I know what talking to each say. other. And the astronauts like I uh, I use this pen in space. Uh, it was engineered. It took millions of dollars put together, and it can write upside down. It can write in zero gravity. It's perfect. And the so the cosmonauts just like we use a pencil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I've heard that story growing up so much. I don't uh, like you were saying, I don't know if it's actually true, but it is funny and it does yeah. make sense to me. But like, if you look at if like, this is working out really like, like if you look at, for example, the standard issue gun of the U S military, the mm-hmm. M 16, it is a, uh, very highly engineered, you know, very precisely machined piece of technology mm-hmm. that is very accurate. But if you look at it the wrong way, it'll jam. It has all sorts of very annoying problems with it because Mm -hmm. it is just so over-engineered to death. While the Soviets was the AK-47, which I would have guessed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the AK-47, the Kalashnikov, um, is pretty well known for basically being made out of uh, stamp steel and plywood. And yeah, one of the like, like it is it's it's the reason why you've heard of it is because it's everywhere because it's stupid cheap to make. Yeah, it will never break you could do literally anything you want to it and it's it will the not Honda break civic of guns yeah <laughs> and um there's um there's there's a reference now this is a little sad but there's a reference in one of my favorite nicholas cage movies lord of war which is uh-huh. that the kleshnikov is so easy to use a child could and they regularly do oh boy um, yeah because it's like you know the 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 gun of the of the tin pot dictator and child soldier and all that kind of stuff as yeah because of the cold war these things have spilled off all over the world but We've like gotten you know, way off topic yeah, but like, but like, it shows a different the different approaches that the Soviets Absolutely. and Americans took to their uh, their problem solving. Anyways, um, so the U two then, yeah, the U two was proposed uh, by Lockheed Martin uh, or Lockheed at this point. I don't think it had merged with Martin at that point. Martin, just some guy. I don't know, <laughs> just some um, guy. <laughs> Martin. Uh, but it was for proposed. I'd in like 19- to be a part of this corporation, please. <laughs> just, oh, sure, bring him on in. A collaboration of Lockheed and Martin. Hey, um, but yeah, uh, they proposed this in 1953. Uh, the uh, proposal was approved in 1954. And by 1955, they were already doing their first test flights of the U-2. And it was fairly successful to an extent. Um, it was used. They flew it over the Soviet Union. They flew it over China. They flew it over Vietnam. They flew it over Cuba. It got a lot of use to the point where it's still somewhat in use today. The okay. problem, though, and this is very American, this is the very yeah. American thing, is that the U-2 is, it's very, so um, it flies very high in the air where the air is yeah. very thin. Thin, okay. And it's very much optimized for flying at these super high altitudes and doing um, like these complicated, like, you know, taking a pictures and spy plane stuff. And because it's like this super high engineered uh, solution to a problem, Uh-oh. it's apparently notoriously annoying to fly. Um, mm. apparently it's been described as quote, the highest workload plane I've ever designed and built. You're wrestling with the airplane and operating the camera system at the same time. Mm. Uh, and at all times. And, um, there's no time to worry about whether you're flying over Russia or whether you're over Southern California. Sounds like it's a handful. Yeah. Furthermore, to maintain its height at 70,000 feet, uh, the early U-2s had to basically fly very close to what's called their never exceeded speed, which is like um, the, the never exceeded speed is when you go over the engine starts to stall oh. and like uh, you could crash. Um, and you have to go very close to that. You have to get very close to that speed oh, just to maintain no. altitude at that kind of high, uh, high place. 
the margin between the maximum speed of the uh, of the U2 and the speed that would stall it was about 12 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's real close, Tristan. Uh, yes, a, that is like a a that's like a, a sliver, like a, a that's a that's a, a margin of error, like just a gust of wind or whatever, and you're like, ah, yeah. yeah. That's why um this window of speed between the maximum speed and that speed was called the coffin corner, um, <laughs> because uh you would cause what's called airflow separation at the wings uh-huh. and the tail and could cause some um big and uh, deadly problems. Uh, furthermore, because it was was so optimized to fly so high in the air if you ever had to flow fly it at lower altitudes right. where the air is thicker it be, because that it was like because like how do I explain this are, are you a gamer you a gamer Scott not I really game right? here okay. and there so you know how like in FPS games the sensitivity of your mouse is very a very big deal yeah because you want to be able to move a lot to get a little bit of space you can be very accurate yes Um. so when you're flying a plane that is going at these ridiculously fast speeds you might not think that you know the the you know the different tools to like turn and stuff like that are going to be very very very, very uh, low sensitivity so that you can make very small adjustments. Right. Um, but if you go to lower altitudes, you all of a sudden have to like be apparently very physically strong just to like turn it if you want it to. Oh. And also it made it very sensitive to things like crosswinds, which could mean that it, which apparently meant that it was a ma- massive pain in the ass to land. And, um, huh. and to the point where like to fly it they almost had to like have something on the ground while it was like flying down to like kind of catch it and pull it down to the ground oh my god so that it could land pro- but the thing is that it only had two like like american american military engineering just at its finest that sounds like a nightmare mm-hmm. and so yeah in the first place where these u2s were tested was uh, under project aquatone was under the cia at groom lake in 1955 there you go uh so so there they had, you know, their test pilots who were working on these things and they try. And of course, because this was a spy plane, um, they were Couldn't very, very interested in making it. sure that nobody knew what they were working on at this place. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, the security happened. But the reason they chose is because the lake bed is uh, basically like a natural strip, you know. So if something oh. goes wrong with the plane and you can't make it to the runway, there are lots of places where you could say, yeah, try and make, like, you know, test pilots try are always great at, like trying to crash gracefully so that they survive. So there's right. a lot of space to crash gracefully, I guess. That makes sense. And plus, also, it was a uh, lake. So it's sort of like, you know, there's a divot in the ground. So it would have been hard for people off site to like take pictures of it or anything like that oh. um, and again it was far from civilization about 160 kilometers or 100 miles north of las vegas well this is the other thing i've been thinking about too how how is it that we've not uncovered much when it's only 100 miles from csi las vegas yeah they could they where's where are they at? where's grisham where's grisham at where's other name of character that i definitely know oh by the way if there's anybody who listens to this podcast who works in tv uh and is a close to the CSI people. I have been wanting to pitch a prequel of CSI that takes place in Las Vegas in the 70s where Grisham's a young upstart CSI and they have to do all of the same things, but they're very, very limited in what technology they have for their forensics. And so they have to do like blood typing and like all stuff like that. Now that's cool. 
Yeah. That's a fun reboot. Yeah. And if I could direct your attention to the notes, the first picture is a picture of this U2 bomber. Okay. Um, as you can see, it's got a very, it's very narrow, very large wingspan. Uh, so mm-hmm. it can sort of glide if it needs to in certain situations. I'm going to have to copy this now, aren't I? I'm going to have to right click, I mean, save as. <laughs> right click, save as. Yeah. So like that's the U2. That's one of the things. Again, still has some service today. Uh, but yeah, the next one I, I'm very excited to show you, Scott, and that is the Oxcart program, which in 1959 was started as a pro uh, in their next big thing that they were working on, which was to design airplanes that would um, basically be designed to somehow oh fuck my with airplanes. God. And this I'm ended sorry. up sorry. I found I, I'm looking at the photo you put in here. Oh my god, this is the X-Men Blackbird. Blackbird. Yeah. Yes. In fact, actually, this is the um, that's why I want to show it to you because this is the precursor to what is now called today the SR-71 Blackbird. This is it. I drew the the this exact thing uh, from like a art of X-Men book, like learn how to draw X-Men when I was a kid over and over and over again. This shape, this design is like burned in my memory. Perfect. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad I could give this to you. So they developed they were developing a uh, plane and the, the plane they developed was the Lockheed A-12, which is what that is a picture of. Um, mm. Or that was that one. I, that one was Martin's idea. Martin was like, I've got an idea for another one. If you guys got it in you. Uh, and it was the first attempt to make a plane that could basically the, the idea was that they were trying to make a plane that would be uh, resistant to radar technology. So it'd be harder to track on radar systems and stuff like that again, so that it could do spy spy craft and, and you know, go unseen. Um, the A-12 actually did do a few missions over Vietnam and North Korea, but it was quickly retired in 1968 for in favor of uh, a newer version of it, which was the SR-71 Blackbird, which is the picture in the, the this thing. This is so cool, though, because even like the even the very first X-Men movie put an emphasis on the fact that it was invisible to to radar and and such like it had if I remember it not, was invisible it yeah not only did. was it literally physically invisible but it but it also just didn't show up on on any sort of radar or anything like that yeah it's just uh so cool man I I like I like how it looks that's all I can say about it I just think it has a really cool design to it uh, and it's another piece in the ongoing thing that a lot of Marvel's design choices where Stan Lee got really wowed by a new fact he learned and made a made a thing about it. So he must have learned about the SR-71 and he was like, that's so cool. I'm going to have superheroes fly that. I got to do it. And if you if you're wanting, I'm I'm saving all these photos that that Tristan is uh, put in the script. And if uh, if you guys want to see, I'm going to tweet it out at probs, not aliens on Twitter. Go check it out. If I had to describe this one, it looks like an airplane that if you put it in a level of Tony Hawk's pro skater, you could do a, a whole bunch of cool, sweet tricks off of. <laughs> it looks like the Blackbird from X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> it also does look like the Blackbird from X-Men. Um, yeah. So like that's, that's, so that's, that's one of the things. Then the next thing they worked on was something called the D21 tag board, which happened because um, as you might've guessed, there was an incident involving the U2. <laughs> um, so a guy by the name of Gary Powers was flying a U2 mission over the Soviet Union. Gary. And then got into a point where he was not flying over the Soviet Union. 
Gary, no. He got shot down by by Soviet uh, Soviet people. Mm. And so they were like, okay, Sorry, uh, we probably should not have people dying for these spy programs. So they were like, hey, what if we made an airplane that uh, basically was an unpiloted drone? Oh. Um, and You've seen how YouTubers have drones. What if we made a big one in the yeah. sky for us? So they were like, what if we took one of those A-12s and repurposed it so it didn't need a pilot so it could be like this supersonic reconnaissance drone and that ended up being what's called Q12 and the idea was that you would fly this deep into dangerous airspace to take pictures mm. um, basically it would take a huge high resolution camera fly over a pre-programmed path then after it took all its pictures it would shoot the module into the air where it could be retrieved by somebody else and then the drone would self-destruct oh okay uh, is there a reason the drone couldn't just go back to where it came from and then we can reuse it well they didn't have like the, the thing is like you know it wasn't like uh like drone technology wasn't that success wasn't that uh advanced okay. back i mean then, I so. it's, it is very like it is very like spy like thriller thing to have something that self-destructs so i will mm-hmm. allow it yeah this program didn't work super well either they tried some test flights they tried a couple operations over um china that were all unsuccessful and eventually they scrapped this project in 1971 okay but when are we getting to the alien stuff soon are we getting to where they're doing alien things soon? Close. We're getting to their reverse engineering. It's the last thing. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. So the next program we got here is the F- F-117 program. Uh, again, Lockheed, uh, they were trying to develop on their sort of thing about um, anti-radar technology. And so they started developing a plane that uses a bunch of different technology to basically make it uh, either uh, reduce reflection or make it so it doesn't emit things like radar or infrared or visible light or uh, radio stuff and also can be quiet. Basically, they were developing stealth aircraft. Um, That's basically what they were trying to work towards here. And 1977, uh, they did their first flight of the, you know, of the F-117. And it was not invisible to radar, um, but it is difficult for radar to detect and track it effectively. So it makes uh, all it needs to do is at least confuse the radar long enough so that by the time the radar can like the radar will have trouble locking onto their movements. And by the time they figure it out, they're already gone. All right. Zip, 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 zooming. Yeah. And this is basically the development of like the stealth plane, which is, I think, uh, you know, an unconventional but still well-known part of the American arsenal, right? We've heard of it. You've seen Broken Arrow, you know, like. I don't know what that is, actually. What's Broken Broken Arrow? Arrow? All right. I'm going to be very, very careful because I'm going to talk about a movie. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to backtrack out of here. And I'm just going to say, actually, yes, Tristan, I did see Broken Arrow. <laughs> no, OK, I, 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 so I know what a Broken Arrow is because Broken Arrow is a military term for when a nuclear bomb gets lost. Oh, fun, fun how fun. It's really fun how often that happens. It's great uh, that we have a term for it because, yeah, because yeah. it happens so much because <laughs> it happens apparently a lot, including uh, not to scare you too much, but there is one nuke that got a Broken Arrow incident that happened uh off the coast of Virginia that um, no. to this day has not been resolved. They uh-huh. don't know where it is. You don't have to tell me that. You don't got to tell me that at <laughs> um, all, Justin. <laughs> wait until you find out how many of America's nukes almost went off because they plugged something in backwards. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you want the scariest Best book I've ever military. read. military. <laughs> 
This is how I became like uh, completely par- like you know how I have my weird nuclear bomb obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book by Eric Bondanik, either Eric Schlosser or Eric Schlesinger, oh. called uh, Command and Control, which shows about how many times, like first of all, in a shockingly modern time, a retro rocket on a ICBM, i.e., like one of like the big world destroying nuke yeah. rockets, uh, fired while it was in silo because somebody had put in punch cards incorrectly oh my god best military in the world and let's not even talk about the time where uh two people who were operating a silo basically the two people who sit there with the keys waiting for uh-huh. the order from the president to destroy the world yeah, yeah, yeah um some uh had ordered pizza and a pizza delivery guy showed up and the door to the room wasn't even locked and the people were asleep they were just like come on in plus press a couple buttons if you want <laughs> they didn't say come on in because they were sleeping yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, so anyways, stealth, stealth planes were one of the things they were working on at Area 51. Gotcha. Um, the other thing they were doing that also would have res- uh, needed a lot of secrecy is reverse engineering. Here we are. Okay, we're here. It, it took us a while to get here, but, you know, we're just trying to go through the years piece by piece here. And now aliens crashed reverse engineering some alien spaceships right mm-hmm. i'm ready to hear it baby yeah they did programs where they were reverse engineering strange aircraft yeah. uh, one program was called have donut one was huh. called have drill and one was called have ferry um ha- okay all right they were less ufos as much as they were russian migs uh, um which oh. a mig is uh, basically the fighter jet of the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, so through various different consequences, like I think uh, one was uh, brought over by a defector and like they're very, through various circumstances, the Americans got their hands on some Russian fighter jets. Well, um, so, I mean, it's, it's alien in a sense, right? If, if you consider Russia alien. Like it's as in like, not of this. It's out of this country. The United <laughs> States. Yeah. So I think we got there on a technicality. Yeah. So basically like they got these Russian MiGs and they went to these, they did these programs to try and figure out how they work, what they do. Uh, also to try and see what they're capable of, what they're, you know, like you can imagine how useful that information might be if you're in a cold war with somebody. Uh, furthermore, they would also like find like, you know, Soviet designs or pieces of new Soviet technology and they would try to recreate them at Area 51 and test them to see what they could do. That kind of stuff. Okay. Very big part of like the sort of Cold War thing. And then, but then that was just like the start of it. And then they did find aliens later. Yeah. Scott, I have some, I have some bad news for you. That might be the title of this podcast. Uh Oh, it yeah. was, was it probably not aliens? No, it was, it was, pro- it was definitely Soviets. Okay. That's the actual <laughs> title of our podcast. It was, yeah, well, well, it was this, definitely Soviets. This I'll happened, tell you that much. This is another connection with Roswell is that the reason why the government was so secretive about Roswell or the Roswell incident, as you remember, is because yeah. what had crashed was a uh, thing that they were using to try and detect Soviet yeah. nuclear tests. Um, and this was them trying to design spy cr- spy airplanes that could spy on the Soviet Union uh, during the Cold War, which, if you remember, in the 1950s was uh, a big deal. Uh, I wasn't alive then, but because I'm young and I've, we've, we've established this before. <laughs> You're a baby, yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I remember I, it's, 
it feels like a thing that they would want to any sort of intelligence that they were working on or, or secret uh, things they were building and whatnot feels like maybe something that they would want to keep a little close to the chest a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now you can probably guess why they released a lot of the secret stuff on this in 1991, which uh, um, I don't because know we became you, best friends with Russia. You did something to Russia. That's for sure. Oh, OK, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm fuzzy on my history a little bit. Let's just say things got really bad and then they got really angry about it and then they invaded Ukraine. So, you know, <laughs> I see, I see, I see. But um, but that hasn't stopped, you know, not only is there all the conspiracies that have been built up around it, but uh, it's Area 51 has sort of become a place of mystique. And there have been some incidents of people trying to get to Area 51 uh, against the desires of the government. Um, I have a, a kind of no. sad one and a funny one. Did could, OK, I'm going to guess the sad one because you kind of teased earlier that if you try to go there and you're not supposed to be there, that they are allowed to shoot you. Did they shoot and did they shoot somebody? Uh, yep. Okay. Um, so there was a guy who basically wanted to find the uh, find the UFOs on base, and he uh, drove past the checkpoint, which is in Mercury, Nevada. Uh, this was in 2019, and uh, the was led on a uh, 13 kilometer, eight mile pursuit by Area 51 security. Uh, he then left his vehicle and was carrying quote unquote a cylindrical object, and NNSS mm. security officers shot him dead at the site. And apparently, uh, yeah, apparently he was told to halt and he did not didn't do it wanted to find those aliens mm-hmm. um hey i i mean look i'm not i'm not here being like i think it's clear throughout this episode that i'm not a, a big not a huge fan of the american military but at the, i please don't go <laughs> please don't do what this guy did it's it feels not great and i wouldn't i i wouldn't want any other people to try to do that now that was that was the um that was the serious one do you want uh-huh. to hear about the the real silly one that makes me realize I fundamentally will not understand the Zoomer generation. Oh, I think I remember. Yeah, yeah go you ahead. remember Storm Area 51? I do now that you say that. Yeah. Did anything come of it? Well, first describe it for people who might have forgotten. So started by a uh, what was described as a sardonic shit post by a guy named Matty Roberts on June 27th, ni- uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Basically made a Facebook post that said if we all band together and raid uh, <laughs> Area 51, we might be able to find the aliens because they can't can't stop all of us. Also um, noting that if we Naruto run, uh-huh. we can move faster than their bullets. Let's yep. see them aliens. Let's do it again. I cannot stress enough. Don't do that. Did anybody <laughs> actually do this? Um, so mil- like I think like millions of people said that they were going to like signed up for the event. But at yeah, the yeah. end of the day, only about 150 people showed up at the entrance of Area 51. OK, uh, nobody succeeded at actually entering the site. Did they try? Uh, no. OK, um, I, I think Thank that. I think that I think that like they tried to the extent that they like tried long yeah. enough that they got like stopped by security and turned that, around. That was not me being like, well, did they even try? <laughs> like, did I'm, they not even disapp- run? I'm not disappointed that they didn't try harder. OK, <laughs> I'm glad no one was hurt. Yeah. But what did happen? It's a yeah. little bit more fun is that at the same time uh, to to kind of coincide with the event, there were actually two music festivals. OK, that to sort of like so. So it turned from Split Storm Area 51, which the government was very much like do not not do that. I remember remember in the news when they were talking about like when things were getting more serious, they were like, do not do this. We legally can shoot you if you try. Yeah. Like they were like, do not. Uh (laughs) Um, Seriously. (laughs) But apparently 1500 people showed up to go to the 
music festivals. Uh, one was called okay. Alien Stock. <laughs> sure. Was it and like, yeah. were these like, the were these music festivals like made because of this thing or were they already like scheduled around, were they like already like annual things that were scheduled around this time and people were just, you know what I mean? You know what They I'm were asking? made for the event. Yeah. They were made Ali- for the event. Okay. Yeah. One was called Alien Stock. The other one was called Storm Area 51 Base Camp. Oh, well, yeah, that one makes sense. <laughs> so like, it's still, you know, it still has cachet and I, I definitely couldn't talk about Area 51 without talking about the Storm Area 51 meme that was a no, thing. No, I can't. I for, totally forgot that happened. Of course. When I was researching this, I'm like, oh, right. I forgot about that thing. I can't believe that that was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this all comes down to at the end of the day, like what's going on, why the secrecy is, is, is a Cold War. Uh, yeah. Cold War was a period in which two superpowers with apocalyptic level weapons were doing basically anything they could to try and get a leg up on each other. It was a war that was primarily because there was no battles on the ground it was primarily about espionage and technology and both sides of the conflict spent egregious amounts of uh, resources and effort to conceal what they were doing from the other side as well as try to figure out what the other side is doing. And Area 51 was part of that. The U.S. was developing uh, technology specifically designed to give themselves a uh, strategic advantage in the Cold War and leaking that information to the Soviets would have resulted in a response in kind and they did not want that to happen. So, and again, kind of like with, in my opinion, like with the Kennedy assassination Mm -hmm. and with like a lot of these things that have like a whole lot of classified stuff on it, like, you know, like 9-11 and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's all got all of this classified stuff on it because because, this is going to sound super uh, like it's because it's stuff the government doesn't want you to know. But the reason it doesn't want you to know is because, I mean, in the case of 9-11 and JFK, it's because uh, it is a step by step plan on how you were able to evade all of their security measures but right the, uh but in, in the case of this it was to protect their uh strategic interests in a war that was very much about information and strategy and technology yeah. and and to hide how to hide how much money they were spending on things that weren't mm-hmm. as great as good as they were wanting it to of be course, they, were, yeah. they were just embarrassed they were embarrassed oh, so many military boondoggles about like spending ridiculous amounts of money on things that just do not work if you want, if you want any backup, I am sure that there are uh, at least a few current or former service members who are in our audience. And I'm sure you have a lot of stories to tell about American military technology. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like this is what happens when governments like when they do opacity for the sake of security like this, people are going to fill it in with stuff. And yeah. the stuff they filled it in with with Area 51 was the UFO stuff. Yeah. And then we, so then we, is the alien stuff coming? Like, is, are we going to do, is that going to be later? Part two. No, um, is the, like, are we, are we expecting that in like 2024 or If this podcast is still going in 2051, yeah. uh, then I will do the episode on that then. I will make it a, a, a appropriate numbered episode then. <laughs> I love it. I love it a lot. Uh, well, I hope we get there. And then I, I hope we finally learn for once that it probably could have maybe been aliens. Uh, but it doesn't sound like that's where we're at today. So I just want to mention that if we're doing this podcast when I'm 63 years old, that's quite a feat. <laughs> and I will still be in my 20s because I never age. I'm saying it right now as I only have a couple months left before I'm 30. I will never age. It actually doesn't bother me. I'm just like, I put it up. I put up a whole front about how it's like, oh, I'm almost 30. I think it's going to be. I'm going to I'm going to crush my 30s, Tristan. Yeah, 30s are 30s are good. 30s are when you get your your medication 
medication going from your psychiatrist. That's I'm that's great. 30s when you say goodbye to all the haters, you know what I mean? 30s when you shake it off, you know what I'm saying? Well, like your 20s is like the time, the decade where you're burdened with trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. Yeah. Your 30s are when you have probably not not necessarily, but probably have yeah. settled into what you're going to do and then you get to spend 10 years where you're still healthy, but you you know, yeah. you're on your path so you get to just enjoy uh enjoy things before middle age sets in and then that's look let's not let's not make this about me and how old i'm going to be let's make this about how you can follow this show for all the cool pictures i'm going to share with you all Mm -hmm. on the internet which is uh you can do so on twitter at probs not aliens follow follow and i'm going to share all of these juicy delicious pictures and i forgot to download some of them so i'm going to do that right now hey tristan while i'm doing that where can people find you on the internet uh i am at tristan pej on twitter but uh my main thing my main squeeze is actually i think it's my main squeeze is quickly turning into this podcast but um, <laughs> but i make uh videos on step back which is a youtube channel about the importance of history in understanding um, modern day america and uh or modern day the modern day world i'm working on a yeah. gigantic video on russia that has now as of today uh now more than four times longer than my longest video so um that's fun uh but scott you also are on the internet occasionally. I am. Where do you internet? I I mostly internet at my computer, but if other people want to see the things that I do the internet with, then you can go to uh, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C, uh, where I post video essays about comics and superheroes and movies and cartoons and all sorts of fun stuff where we learn while we laugh. Oh, that was cute. But I'm also, I'm also starting to do a whole series where I invite some of my other YouTuber friends to live stream and, and watch some old uh, weird media. And I'm, I'm getting that set up. Um, and it's, it's I'm so looking forward to when that series launches. So go check it out. I'm very excited about it. It's like a breath of fresh air for me to make more stuff with my friends. I mean, that's why I love doing this podcast because yeah, I get to really hang out fun. with Tristan for so long. We talked for an hour today before we even started recording. And thank you all for, for listening. In fact, I know that so many of you are listening because we get great reviews from people who are who write all the nice things about our show. And you can continue to do so at Apple Podcasts. And I believe you can even rate us on Spotify. So thank you to everyone who's been doing that. It means a lot to us. Tell your friends. Yeah. And yeah, probsnotaliens.com is the place where you can send anybody and they will be able to get the podcast on whatever platform it is that they like podcasts. Yes. But that is that is Area 51. That is all for today. But everybody, the truth it's out there. Oh. Probably. my Cold War Soviet accent. What country is it? We don't know. We it's don't Eastern know. Europe somewhere. If I say comrade enough, uh, you get it. <laughs>